Hello, welcome to another episode of the Capital Employed Podcast. Happy New Year to everyone. Before we begin this episode, we have an announcement to make. After 12 months of bootstrapping this podcast, we have decided to transition the podcast to a premium subscription model. Now, we launched the podcast at the beginning of 2020 and have published 45 episodes so far. We are truly grateful for the downloads and support we have received. The podcast does take time to arrange, research, record and publish. Since launch, we have bootstrapped the show, which of course means operating at a loss every month. As with any publication, for it to survive for the long term and continue to publish what we hope is valuable content, the podcast has to become financially sustainable. So after careful consideration, we have decided to go down the subscription route as we feel this is the best way to continue to provide high quality content in a consistent manner. So starting next week, all episodes of the Capital Employed podcast will be exclusive to premium subscribers only. We are offering this subscription for as little as we possibly can. The premium subscription is just 10 US dollars per month or 100 US dollars for an annual subscription. We feel this offers excellent value to be able to listen exclusively to some of the best and most astute public equity investors talking about their favorite stocks. Please also note, We are capping the premium subscription at just 500 places. So as a subscriber, you will be one of only 500 people in the whole world who gets to listen to these podcast episodes in full. To become a premium subscriber, there are two ways to join. Either visit capitalemployed.supercast.com or alternatively, you can join via Substack. To join there, please visit capitalemployed.substack.com. You can find links to both pages in the podcast episode description. We hope you come join us to help build a community of members who are keen to grow their wealth over the long term by investing in public listed companies. And once again, thank you for all the support we've received so far. Okay, so let's crack on with this episode. For this episode, we had the pleasure of being joined by Robert Malkahi, who goes by the name of Tiny Stock Ninja. Robert runs an extremely concentrated portfolio and is always on the hunt for microcap multibaggers. I follow Robert on Twitter and was keen to get him onto the podcast to discuss his investment process and two stocks he's bullish on. Before we begin, make sure to add your email to the Capital Employed letter. Every so often we publish a write-up of a company that has piqued our interest. Now these will mostly be companies on the smaller end of the market cap scale that go under the radar of most financial media. So if that sounds like your cup of tea, please visit capitalemployed.substack.com and add your email to their list. That's capitalemployed.substack.com. Okay, let's dive into this week's episode. Please enjoy my conversation with Robert. Hi, Robert. Thanks for coming on to the podcast. Hey, happy to be here. Can you provide a brief introduction to yourself and what is your investing style? I'd be happy to. So my name is Robert Mulcahy. I am a private investor. I am primarily focused, well, actually 100% focused in microcaps, US listed microcaps. And that's not because I don't like international stocks. It's just because there's 10,000 North American microcaps. It's enough to keep me busy for my whole career right now. And I'm a really concentrated investor right now. I'm really focused on building my capital. So I'm, I'm really focused in my top three to five best ideas at any given time. And these are stocks that I, I've done you know, a ton of research on. And I'm just really trying to find the best possible companies I can. 
How many stocks do you have in your portfolio at the moment? Right now, I have four stocks in my portfolio. <laughs> okay, so very concentrated. Very concentrated. What type of businesses do you like to invest in out of all those thousands that are listed in the US or the micro caps? Are there any characteristics you look for or special situations? There are definitely a couple characteristics I look for. Um, so the, the first characteristic I'm looking for is anything that has an inflection point in the business that I feel has been just completely underappreciated by the market. And that happens a lot in micro caps just because there's so many. A lot of these companies don't have any type of coverage. You know, they can have their business be completely transformed and the broader market can completely miss it. And then the second characteristic I look for, this isn't a requirement, but it's something I've find, found myself gravitating more towards is I'm looking for businesses that have some type of relation or tie to the government because that is what my background is in and it's what my, my day job is in. But there's a lot of advantages I have in terms of that where I know how to find government documents that are public information that I think a lot of investors will miss. And then also you can send Freedom of Information Act requests to get details on information that, you know, in a lot of businesses you couldn't get, but it's completely public knowledge. So it's kind of a, a way you can find an edge. What does your investment process look like? Where do you start? I start by casting a very wide net. I'm looking at geo investing, microcap club, I'm running screens, you know, podcasts, Twitter. And then what happens is when I find an idea that I think has is worth my time, I'll start by going through the most recent 10K, 10Q and conference call transcript and kind of decide if it's worth more time. And if it is, I'll end up researching the company for, a, you know, a couple months before I start buying it. And that's going through, you know, every single SEC filing, talking to management, building out a model. Um, it's quite, quite detailed. And the reason for that is because I am so concentrated, I need to be sure that I'm, I'm right about what I want to own. And when you're like um, doing your research into these companies and looking through the 10K, are there any red flags you'll look for? So th there are several red flags I look for. One of the red flags I'm looking out for is I'm really looking for companies that have a lot of insider ownership, especially in microcaps. So lack of insider ownership would be a big red flag for me. You need to think about the power of incentives here. I mean, what, what can be more you know, incentivizing for someone than knowing that if they succeed in their company and their stock goes up, they'll be rich. I mean, you want to write alongside that. So I, I like microcaps that have high insider ownership. I like microcaps that aren't diluting their share count like crazy because that's just the quickest way to destroy value. And I'm usually looking for companies that have little to no debt because, you know, there can be a lot of problems arising from debt coming due. And then you're either going to have to raise more money or you're going to have to dilute shareholders. And having four stocks in your portfolio, I'd love to know, how do you deal with the volatility on like a psychological kind of basis? That's a great question. The, the best answer is have hobbies. Outside of <laughs> um, so it, it, the volatility is tough, but it, it's you really have to divorce yourself from what the stock price is doing versus what the market is doing versus what the business is doing. So for example, one of the stocks I'm going to talk about today, I've previously discussed quite publicly. And I mean, the business today is, I think, a significantly better business than it was even nine months ago when I first talked about it. But the stock price is down $1.50 a share on a, you know, what was a $6 stock it's down 25%. And the business is significantly improved. So how do I do that is I keep, you know, returning to the financials, talking to management, making sure that the story is still in place, they're executing because 
if they keep executing, you know, it will work out. Okay, let's jump into your um, portfolio, if we may. Out of those four stocks, can you talk about two stocks and what was your thesis for investing? Sure. So the the first stock I, I kind of alluded to is Crescendo. It trades on the NASDAQ under the ticker CXDO. This is one of those businesses that I feel has reached a really positive inflection point. Last year on June 1st, they completed an acquisition of a company called NetSapiens, which is another company in the UCAS space. These are all you know UCAS companies. And NetSapiens has provided Crescendo with a huge, huge transformative power to their business. So Crescendo is now a full service UCAS, which means that they have phone and video. So it's it's kind of like, you know, using voice over internet protocol to make a phone call, but also they have, you know, Teams and Zoom type collaborations. And now with NetSapiens, they have that platform. So they have a much more powerful platform. They completed this acquisition at around four and a half times sales, which in the UCAS space, a lot of acquisitions are happening at, you know, 10 or 20 times sales. So they did it at an accretive multiple. That acquisition nearly doubled their revenues. Crescendo now is a business that if you take out its most recent quarter, which is the first full quarter they've had net sapiens, is on something something like a $35 million run rate, and it's trading at a market cap of around $95 million. What's really special about Crescendo is not only its really low valuation, because many of these UCAS companies traded an EV to sales of around 10 to 20, um, so Crescendo is just significantly undervalued by that. But the thing is, is it's it's quite easy to build conviction in Crescendo because of the management team. And Crescendo's management is run by Steve Mihalo, Doug Gaylor, and John Brenton. And Steve Mihalo, in the past, founded and ran Intertel, which was another telecom company. And while he was at Intertel, they completed roll-up acquisitions of um, other phone companies at really accretive multiples. And he scaled Intertel from zero to $500 million in revenue and then sold it for $730 million later on to Mitel. Right now with NetSapiens, what they just did is NetSapiens has resellers that resell the NetSapiens solution. And Crescendo now has acquired a huge pool of resellers that they can do roll-up acquisitions just like they did. It's really easy to kind of have this this high conviction bet on them when it's more or less the same management team running more or less the same strategy in more or less the same industry. And on top of that, Steve Mahalo owns about 50% of the stock, which is quite a bit of stock for a company that has a market cap around $100 million. How big do you think their sales could get? In uh, a recent call with the little grapevine, um, their COO, Doug Gaylor, disclosed that the reseller acquisition pool has about $300 million of revenue potential that they can acquire. And on top of that, the UCAS industry itself is growing and growing and growing because the, the pandemic really highlighted the need for the switch over to UCAS services from having the, the traditional desk phones because people are working at home. They need to be able to talk to customers, their, their coworkers. So right now, the UCAS industry itself is growing quite rapidly from around $19 billion to about $25 billion in the next couple of years. So it's, it's growing at a, a huge kager right now. Um, so in terms of their sales, that's a great question. I, I haven't really thought about where I think their sales can go in the next 10 years because I'm thinking about, 
I, I really see the, a pretty clear path to you know fifty million in sales for them in the next few years. Yeah, it looks like a really fascinating uh, company there. Okay, thanks for sharing that one, uh, Robert. And how about your second company you'd like to talk about? The second company I, I want to talk about is Intellinetics, and they trade on the uh, OTC markets under the ticker symbol INLX. And Intellinetics is really interesting little company. For a few years, they had previously had about $2.5 million in revenue, and they were kind of stuck at $2.5 million in revenue. And it, the business just kind of looked like a, like a micro cap that was stuck in place. What was going on behind the scenes during that, that time is they were converting um, their customers from a premise-based software solution to a SaaS-based software solution with much higher margins. What they do is they do document management for public sector government agencies and schools, K through 12 in the U.S. Then in early 2020, right when the pandemic was hitting, they had a, a rapid succession of events that really completely changed the business. So in February, they did a one for 50 reverse split and they dropped their authorized shares from 75 million to 25 million. And then in March, they completed a private placement um, with convertible notes and it was about $5 million they raised. What was really interesting is the CFO, the CEO, the chairman of the board, and then the Taglitch brothers, which is a, a research firm here, all participated. And then they used the funds from the private placement to pay down debt, and then they made two acquisitions. And one of the acquisitions was, was a big one called Graphic Sciences. And Graphic Sciences does document conversion. So now they convert local governments and K-12 through schools. They convert the documents into digital. And then Intellinetics also offers the SaaS-based solution to manage the digital documents. So they kind of went downstream there in terms of getting vertically integrated, which is really interesting. And what happened now is they finally have achieved operating leverage in their business. So Q3 2020 was the first ever positive quarter of EPS for the company, which is kind of crazy. It's been around for a long time, but it was the first time they ever made money. Moving forward now, they've finally achieved operating leverage. And now that they're able to do this, they have some really positive inflection points I feel like people are missing. Like they've recently hired a full-time marketing director who has a background in government to uh, acquire new partners. And I actually talked to the CFO and asked him, and before it was a part-time employee and the CEO. So I'm, I'm pretty confident they're going to be able to grow and get new leads because they finally have someone to actually focus on growing and getting new leads. I've noticed both companies there, they're kind of um, B2B kind of tech companies. Is that where you like to kind of look in particular? You know, I, I guess it is. It's something I haven't really thought about. Um, but yeah, I guess that's the thing is, is with Crescendo, I, I found through running a screen and I, I felt like it was just really misunderstood and undervalued. And then Intellinetics, actually, in my, my day job, um, working in management and local government, I've actually used their competitor. And I, I just kind of became interested in looking at the company because their competitor is quite bad and it's not user friendly. Um, so I was kind of using my, you know, my skills in my day job to, to find a really interesting, underappreciated investment opportunity. Okay. Considering you have four stocks, what would cause you to sell one of your companies? That's a pretty, you know, fair question. I think about this a lot, especially with how the market's been right now. <laughs> this has been tough. In, in terms of selling, 
I'm constantly monitoring for the story breaking down, especially when I only have four stocks, because if something falls apart, I, I can take a big hit. So with Intellinetics, for example, there is a, a pretty large risk in that they have a massive customer concentration. They have a large $43 million contract with the state of Michigan. And that contract comes due in 2023 with two one-year extensions. That is one thing I'm really concerned about and I'm watching is I'm trying to make sure that they're going to start signing up some new large partners in the next few quarters before we approach 2023, or they're going to announce an extension in the contract. With Crescendo, I'm constantly monitoring to make sure that their sales are still rapidly growing because... It's, it's a business that I feel as if they have, you know, A-plus management and an A-plus strategy, and there's really no reason for them to be stalling out when they have tailwinds at their back and they have all these roll-up opportunities. There's, there's really no reason for them not to be growing every quarter. So that's something is I, I can be pretty, pretty strict in terms of, you know, cutting things if I feel like they're starting to underperform. A lot of that is just because I am trying to build my capital as long as possible. So it, it's it's hard for me to sit on dead money for a few quarters. Okay. No, I think both stocks are very interesting. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Robert. So where can people go to find out uh, more information about you? So the best place would be Twitter. My handle is at Tiny Stock Ninja. And I am also on GeoInvesting. I'm a research collaborator there. I'm having a great time doing that. And I am also a member of Microcap Club. That's fantastic. Okay, Robert, thanks so much for coming on to the show. Hopefully we can bring you back on in the future to uh, see how those two companies have been getting on. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.